What is the promise that comes to mind when you think about God's promise? Because you all have something, I think, that comes to mind. And I was going to ask you, Jimmy, and I didn't even get a chance before we started, but what was the vision for this church when it started? Do you mind me putting you on the spot? Yeah, no, not at all. We, we helped plant this church to influence all of Telluride and this western slope for Jesus. That's the whole deal, yeah. Amen. Exactly. Influence the entire western slope for Jesus from, from little Telluride. Is that possible? Yes, sir. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay, good. I think so. I'm glad you guys agree. But write down what the promise is that comes to mind when you think of this promise from God. We might go to a few after 12, so bear with me. But just write that down now. And if it doesn't come to mind, just keep listening, and maybe it will as we talk. And I wanted you to turn to 2 Corinthians with me. It's a verse we've all recited a million times, but turn there. We're going to read it together to get started here. <coughs> Chapter 1. Verse 20. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Could you guys believe that? It's true, right? It's his word. It's very true. Now, sometimes it doesn't feel that way necessarily, and we'll get there in a minute. But as we think of these many promises of God... Think of the thousands of promises of God that are in Scripture, right? There are thousands, literally. And I want to just go through a few of them. Um, having trusted Christ, you're guaranteed an eternity with Him in heaven. That's phenomenal. Nothing can separate you from His love. You're His dearly loved child. Dearly loved, not somewhat loved. Dearly loved, Michael. You're His dearly loved child. It's interesting that God was conveying that even this morning to us, right? He will never leave you nor forsake you, ever. His Holy Spirit lives in you, guaranteeing your salvation and empowers you to do His will. You are a new creation in Christ. The old stuff is gone. He will meet all your needs. All things in your life work together for your good because you love Him. Yes. Right? Yes. Even those trials, even those times of waiting that don't seem fun. You are accepted in the body of Christ. He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You're not here in vain. He promises you an abundant life one that surpasses your circumstances, one that is full of meaning and significance, one that will have an impact for all of eternity, right? Mm -hmm. Because of how you spent your life here on this earth. These are just a few and there are thousands more, but you are not here in vain. God's promises are many, as scripture says. And however many they are, they are they're yes in him. And I want to encourage you with that as we start. So again, if you haven't written down that promise that comes to mind, Please write that down, right? So sometimes you might not feel so confident about all these promises and the others that he's given you. It's easy to start wondering what's going on. And as we think about that, I wanted to look at Abraham. And this is a story we're all familiar with. If you want, you can turn back to Genesis 12. I'm going to kind of paraphrase a few chapters there. But in Genesis 12, 1 and, uh, through 3 and 7 and then in 13, God promises Abraham that he'd be the father of of a nation of descendants that outnumbered the sand of the sea. This is a big promise, right? And Abraham, what did he think? Of course that's possible. No, he didn't. He was 75 years old. Sarah was barren. They had no children. He didn't know how this promise was going to come to be. So this may be just like you, where you have a promise that you know is from God, but you think there's no way this is going to happen. For us, that was a million dollars in two months. Are you kidding me, God? This is not going to happen. And we went for it, and God did a miracle. 
but now we're still seeing the rest of the promise come, right? And sometimes we still feel like that. Is this really going to happen? So anyway, wherever you are, you might feel the same way, right? How is this even possible? So Abraham became impatient about the promise, and he actually kind of lashed out at God in disbelief in Genesis 15, 2 through 3. And then God mercifully restated the promise to him, clarified that the promise was still valid, even in spite of his lack of faith at that point. Verse 6 tells us that Abraham trusted and believed in God and that that was credited to him as righteousness, right? So he did believe the promise, and he did believe God who gave the promise. Eleven years later, though, Abraham takes matters into his own hands, obviously that much older, getting frustrated that the promise had not yet come to pass, and he fathered Ishmael, right? Um, Aside from his wife, trying to force the promise of God with the encouragement of his wife, but not necessarily trusting God's promise at that point, trying to make it happen. Now, have you ever been there where you try to make, make it happen? Yeah. I have. Yeah. I know that's God's promise, and now I'm going to force it through, right? In my timing. Yeah. God, it's not happening. So I need to make it happen. And we're going to talk about that this morning, and I hope you'll be encouraged by this. But obviously, 13 years later, God promises again that he's going to give birth to his son and be the father of many nations. And again, Abraham even laughs in chapter 17 at God, not believing this is even possible. But shortly thereafter, Isaac was born, right? Genesis chapter 21, when Abraham was around 100 years old, 25 years after the promise, 25 years of waiting, 25 years of sometimes not doing it quite the way God planned, but doing it rather in his own strength. God made Abraham a promise, but it took a long time for it to come to be. And God was faithful, though. God was faithful. And we're all here today as a result of God's faithfulness to answer the promise that he made to Abraham, right? Yes. God will be faithful in your life just like he was in Abraham's. But there are some principles, I think, that apply to that time of waiting that I really want to encourage you with today. So how do you know God's promises? Obviously, the promises in Scripture are unchanging and they're true, right? And there are thousands of them. So I'd encourage you to read God's Word and know what those promises are. Second Peter, and we'll conclude with that, chapter 1 talks about knowing those promises from God's word, right? So getting God's word and know those promises. But then there are other promises like this vision, right? There's no verse that said, and you will have a ranch, <laughs> right? But we knew confidently that God had led us to step out in faith, trusting him for this vision. Now, I want to encourage you, how do we know whether or not this promise is from God, that this vision is from God? Well, first of all, God's promise does not necessarily equate with your desires, right? Selfish desires can destroy us. Our heart is deceitful, Scripture says. I just want to read you a little bit about what Scripture says about our own selfish desires, not the desires of somebody that's following him, right, but somebody that is walking in the flesh. So anyway... Our own selfish desires and following them results in being dead even while you live. Having a form of godliness but denying its power is tied to that. And practically stopping God's power in your life. Plunging you into ruin and destruction. Piercing you through with many griefs. Choking God's word. Making it unfruitful in your life. Trapping you, making you unhappy. And destroying your relationships. Not knowing that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Right? Scripture says if you choose to be a friend of the world, you become an enemy of God. So do not love the world or anything in the world. Remember this in 1 John chapter 2. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. 
The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. See, selfish, worldly desires are not going to equate with God's vision and promise for our life. And sometimes we can start to want those things. We were recently in California visiting a lot of different people that support our ministry, and I started feeling jealous when I looked at all the nice houses overlooking the ocean and all the, the Lexuses, and I thought, God, it actually hit me this way. I was running one morning at um, Capistrano Beach, and as I was running, it just hit me yet again. There is so much more than living for so much more. Like, if those things are my desire, then I'm just going to pierce myself through with lots of grief. But man, when he's my desire and his will is my desire, the rest falls into place, right? That's why Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart because he changes our desires to be in line with his own. So as you seek him first and his kingdom first, he can add all these things unto you because your desires are his desires. Amen. Your vision is his vision and the promise is his promise, right? So I want to encourage you that you can know confidently what his will is. Scripture tells us that. In fact, it says not to be ignorant of his will in Ephesians 5.17. The next verse talks about being filled with the Spirit, so there's a connection between those two. But there are also some vitally important principles to understand as we try to understand and not be ignorant of what his will is and what that promise is. So first, are you filled with his Spirit? The very next verse, right? Do you desire to obey his will, whatever it is? If I don't desire to obey his will, he might not reveal it to me. Are you presenting your life continually for his purposes? Remember in Romans chapter 12, living a life of surrender and obedience to him, not being conformed to the world. Because that's a vital prerequisite to knowing what his promise is. Are you being obedient to his general will so that he can reveal his specific will to you? Yeah, it's so important. You know, some people will tell me in college ministry, gosh, you know, I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what God's will is. I don't know what God's will is. And then we go back to some of the general principles of God's will, and they're not applying those. <laughs> I said, well, God's not going to give you the next step until you start with the step that you're already on, right? Are you praying, fasting, and asking God for wisdom about his will? Because he's eager to reveal it. He doesn't want to hide it from you. Are you checking general scriptural principles and what the word directly says about whatever issue you're thinking about? Because there's going to be a whole lot there. Are you using the sanctified mind that God has given you, right? To, to think about the situation that you're in and what God might be doing. This week, we're trying to reach 800 freshmen. Our goal every year is to reach them all before the first day of classes. That's a lot of people to reach and even more to follow up with, right? We've, last year, we reached about 450 right off the bat. But there is some strategy that has to go into that. And it's only the mind of Christ that he says we have in 1 Corinthians 2 that is capable of that, right? Um, have you sensed him changing your desires? Because as you follow him, he'll change your desires in line with his will. Have you sensed him changing your desires, giving you a desire for something that is in line with he, what he might be doing in your life? Do you have God-given gifts, talents, and abilities in that area? Right? Because God wants to use those. He doesn't want them to lie dormant. Right? And just an encouragement there, you might not know what your gifts are if you haven't been applying them. Some people say, I don't have the gift of evangelism. <laughs> well, have you even shared your faith to find out if that might be a gift, right? And so start serving God in many different ways, letting him show you where you're gifted and talented, right? So that he can use you according to his will. Finally, have you sought confirmation from godly authority, right? If you're in this church, Ketrick is going to be given authority 
to, to give some confirmation to you as, as you find where God is leading you and directing you. But I think as you apply some of these principles and others in Scripture, God is going to make very clear to you what his promise for you is and what his vision for you is. And there might be times where some of the old ideas have to be let go of because there's some new stuff that God wants to walk you in. So make sure that his will and his vision for you are your dream. Make sure that there's not a disconnect between those. Right? That wrong perspective can lead to wrong expectations and disillusionment. Right? And I've been there so many times in the past. But when I have his perspective, there's lots of joy in serving him. There's tons of joy in serving him when I have the right perspective. So we can agree with the psalmist when we have that perspective, saying, I rejoice in your promise like one who finds great spoil. Again, this treasure concept that that we were talking about earlier today. So what about when the promising is long and coming? Because that often seems to be the case. Probably you've received something from God, you know it's from God, but it just seems like it takes a long time. This church began in the 70s, and we haven't reached the whole western slope yet, right? That's part of the vision for this church. Is it still happening, right? Is it still wait minute, possible? Wait, I have to stop you there. You have reached the full Western Ooh, school. good. Because actually, I want to say it was a month ago, I put in an ad in the Sunshine Express newspaper, which goes all over the Western Slope, and it's free, mind you, about this fellowship here. And God, so God is doing it already. And you guys, I want to encourage you that even when we wait, sometimes we might become disillusioned, realizing that things aren't happening how we planned or thought or when we thought they would, but they're still coming. Remember this, Numbers 23, 19. God is not man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? He does not, right? When he promises, he fulfills. He brings it to pass. Asaph felt this way, and in Psalm 77, 8, he wrote, Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Asking rhetorically, what's going on? Sometimes we feel the same way as him. Has the promise vanished forever, right? Or David saying, my eyes fail looking for your promise. I say, when will you comfort me? Sometimes those doubts start to come up about the promise. So right now, take a minute, excuse me, and write out whatever those doubts are. Just different things that come to mind. Excuse me. I'll tell you one of ours while you're writing that out. So we started approaching the limit that this person had said that they were going to donate, which was around $850,000. And I started thinking, so it's not going to happen, right? Because we still have a lot left to go. And God worked through that. I mean, it was before we even had time to get anxious about it. And God has graciously continued providing for all that's happening at that place. But we had those doubts coming up. Now, as you write those down, I want to talk about waiting for the promise, because this seems to be God's protocol. It's not that this always happens this way, but I think that God has a reason for it. So God's fulfillment of the promise is on his timeline according to his purpose. In Acts 7, Stephen talked about how the time drew near for God to fulfill his promise. There was a timeline for when the promise would be fulfilled talking specifically about God revealing the Messiah to Israel there, but the principle of God's promise being on his timeline is valid, right? It's not necessarily on our timeline, as we might sometimes want. Remember in Hebrews, we read about this entire so-called hall of faith, these heroes from the Old Testament, 
that didn't get to see the promise fulfilled. They actually died before it came so that each of us here today could share in it with them, right? But they sought God faithfully, being willing to not see the promise fulfilled. So sometimes that time frame can look a little sketchy. And I want to encourage you that 2 Peter 3 verse 9 tells you that he is not slow in keeping his promise, right? But he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish. See, in his time frame, he's working according to his plan. And we get to be a part of his plan, realizing that he has a reason for it, right? And he's going to bring these things to fruition at the right time according to his will. Remember that Abraham waited 25 years right, for Isaac. Jacob had to work 14 years for Rachel. Joseph had to wait around 20 years to be reunited with his brothers and his family after he was sent to Egypt. David had to wait at least 15 years after being anointed king before he became king. There was a wait involved, and David had to trust God during that wait because it was hard. Even his life was in danger. Israel, Israel waited millennia for the Messiah to come, right? Um, the disciples waited in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're waiting today for his second coming, right? There, there is a wait that's involved when it comes to his promise, both the promises in Scripture and the promises that he's given you. Some of those might come sooner than others, but I want to encourage you that they're coming, right? Don't get distracted by the wait thinking that they are not coming, right? Or that God has forgotten about you. He still desires to use you. Remember 2 Corinthians 1.20, no matter how many the promises of God are, they're yes in Christ, right? Even when they seem so far and so distant. So how... Amen. Amen. So how do we wait? Again, like Abraham, don't force the promise, right? We can't make it happen. If we could, it wouldn't be God's promise. It'd be my own strength, which nobody needs more of, right? The world says, do it your own way. Remember 2 Peter 2, verse 19, talking about false teachers, says, <clears throat> excuse me, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. The whole world is saying, just do it your own way. And they're becoming slaves to doing it their own way, right? We in Christ have real freedom to live the lives that he's called us to live. And we don't have to be enslaved again. Remember Galatians 5.1, right? We can walk in that freedom, allowing him to do his will. So here are some principles from scripture about waiting. I want to encourage you to wait with an open hand, not to idolize the promise, right? But to, to worship and praise God alone, holding with an open hand, the promise that he's given you, realizing that he's faithful and he'll complete it, but my eyes are on him, not just on what he's called me to. Does that make sense? He has to be everything. Scripture tells you to wait patiently, quietly, expectantly, eagerly. Just listen to some of these because they're so good. Eagerly waiting for the promise, full of hope, hoping in his word, being strong and taking heart, following his commands, trusting him, and desiring his name and renown while we wait. That, that's what I want my heart to be while I wait. That means that we should cease striving and know that he is God, right? Sometimes it's easy to strive, to kind of force that promise through. I need to cease that and know that he is God and he's in control. We must seek him with all of our heart, right? Serving him earnestly night and day, scripture says. Committing ourselves to him and continuing to do good, scripture says. Being faithful with all that he's called us to. And that's a huge thing. Because right now there's a time where I can walk faithfully doing all that he's called me to do today, 
knowing that he'll bring the promise at the right time as I continue to walk faithful. That involves walking by faith and not by sight, even when I don't see things happening the way I expect them to. Right? My eyes are on him, not the circumstances. I need to allow his joy to be my strength, not just whatever I hope the promise will be. See, in my mind, sometimes I thought, well, when the training center is done, well, that'll be so exciting, right? Well, when it takes a lot longer than we expect, his joy has to be my strength, not That's what's good. happening there necessarily. That's Does that good. make sense? That's good. That's good. In all this, and because of all this, Jesus is glorified in you. And that's his main goal, is that he would be glorified. Not just that I would have whatever happens happen to make me happy, but he is after his own glory. And not just out of pride. We had a student ask us this summer, if God is so humble, why is he so concerned with his glory? And we said, it's like asking a doctor that has a cure for your terminal condition, why he's so proud that he wants to make sure everybody gets that cure, right? He is committed to making sure everybody knows of the life that's possible in him. God's timing is so perfect, and there's a reason for that. I want to encourage you that the day is coming. It is coming. Until that day comes, whether it's this afternoon or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, I want you to write down right now, how are you going to wait for God? How do you plan to wait? Considering those verses on waiting on him, how will you wait as you wait for him to fulfill the promise that he's given you? And as you think about that, I want to encourage you with his word to his people in Jeremiah 33 who are in exile, right? They didn't feel like the promise was about to happen. But he said to them, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Even when they were in exile. And you might feel like that sometimes. God says, the days are coming when I'll fulfill that gracious promise that I made. So keep your eyes on me. Don't be distracted by the circumstances and things on the side, but keep your eyes on me. Okay, now there's a purpose in the waiting. <laughs> Why do we wait? Why does this seem to be the protocol? And I'm not saying that there's a long wait every time, because, man, so many times God promises, and right away we see it. But when there is a wait, why is there a wait? And I want to encourage you, it's not in vain. There's a purpose in it. God is transforming you into his likeness day by day, Scripture says. He's building your character, and he's working everything according to his plan. His desire is that I would love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sometimes that requires that I wait on him. That I seek him for his own sake, not because of what he might do. Yes. Right? And as I seek him for his own sake, in that time of waiting, as I come to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, he is glorified in me again. And he can do what he's promised for the right reason at the right time. I think a lot of times when I look back at our short eight years in ministry, I feel like some of the hardest things we've been through, and there have been a few were God's greatest gifts to us because he was forcing us not to rejoice in the outcomes of our ministry, but rather in him alone. And now, eight years ago, we, we remember this time joyfully that we went through. Our first year on staff was the hardest year that we've had so far. It was incredibly painful. Um, and we look back with lots of joy because God was so, so good to us during that time. And he became our focus rather than just what he was doing. So there's a purpose in the wait. God will fulfill his promise, so keep hope. Don't lose hope. I want to share a little bit about what Scripture says about hope as you think about the wait. Scripture tells you to hope in the living God, the Savior of all men, in Jesus alone, in his name, 
in his word, in his love, in his grace, in his protection, in his provision, and in the eternal life that he offers. We have so much to hope for as we wait. Scripture also tells us that those who hope in the Lord will find rest. They will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. They will be delivered and they will have the endurance to persevere. Even when it takes a long time. As I hope in him, he will give me the endurance to persevere. So let's go back to an action step, right? As we close this out, it's about noon. And as we summarize this, I want to go back to Abraham's example. Romans 4 describes Abraham as righteous, believing, faithful, not wavering. Does that sound like the Abraham we just talked about from Genesis? Yeah. Okay, so that back in college really created a problem for me. I was struggling with it. It seems like two different guys here, right? I had a real hard time reading it. And then Romans 4.17 popped out at me. What does that say? Do you guys remember? It's the God that gives life to the dead and calls things that are not as though they were. Isn't that true? Now, as we think about Abraham, who put his faith in God in Genesis chapter 16, and it was credited to him as righteousness, we can realize that God chose to see him as faithful, unwavering, believing, right? And I want to encourage you with that, that if you've not been perfectly faithful, if you have unwavered while you've been waiting for the promise, if you've thought, God, I don't see this happening, God is still choosing to see you as faithful because of Christ and because your trust is in him. You haven't ruined it. Does that make sense? Sometimes I talk to students that think they've ruined it. I talked to one girl that said, I've had too much sex for God to ever forgive me. She thought she'd ruined it because of her past. Right? Girl, she ended up putting her trust in Christ, crying her eyes out late at night one night. Um, don't ever get there where you think you've ruined it and that God is done with you because he desires to use you just as much now as ever. Right? So as we look at Romans 4, 17, think about your life. He's going to give life to what's dead and call things that are not as though they were. I really believe that. Fulfilling his promise in and through you, not because of your perfect work, but because of his. And not because of your good name, but because of his glory. He's what's at stake here. Because Abraham put his faith in God, God saw him as righteous. And that meant that even those times of unbelief and doubt were covered by his grace. It's the same for us. He chooses to define you. Oftentimes, you'll see this in scripture, the opposite of your weaknesses, right? He did this with David, saying he's a man after my own heart, right? Yeah, yeah. David was a murderer, an adulterer, the worst dad in the Bible, right? He did this with Peter, who was emotionally fickle and all over the page, all over the place. And he said, you're a rock, right? So he chooses oftentimes to look right at you and say, I see you through Christ. Come on. And the promise is still going to come to pass as you keep your eyes on me. Not because you're perfect, so don't believe that lie. Whatever mistakes you've made while waiting for the promise, God is faithful and he sees you through Jesus, and they're not going to stop it. Now, you don't have to force it to happen like we've said so many times. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to open your own doors. I love to tell the students this. All you need to do is keep your eyes on Jesus, Amen. being faithful with little for the sake of the little. We tell our students all the time. They're probably sick of hearing it. Allowing him to open the right doors at the right time, right? 
Think about David. David had been anointed to become king, like I said. There was a long period of time where he didn't see that happen. But do you remember some of what God did in the meantime after he was anointed? In fact, immediately after he was anointed king, do you remember where God put him? In the palace of the king? Brought him from the field out in the middle of nowhere into the palace of the king where he was destined to one day reign. And why did he put him there? Because he could play the harp. (laughs) Seems like an irrelevant strength for a future king. But David was faithful with something like his music. He was faithful with shepherding some sheep. And because he was faithful, God put him into the place and he lined things up for him so that one day that promise would be fulfilled in and through his life. And he didn't have to force the door open. He simply had to be faithful with what God had given him at that time with his eyes on God so that God could do it. So once again, be faithful with little for the sake of the little. Trusting that God is going to fulfill the promise that he's given you simply because you love him and because your eyes are on him and because you're walking today in what he's given you with or given you for today. And for a lot of us, not Aaron and I because we don't live here, but for a lot of us in this room, that involves Telluride, right? That involves Telluride. And as we close talking about Telluride, I want to tell you 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4 because I mentioned it earlier. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. He's given you all you need. So seek him because everything you need is right there. It's in him. It's in his word. And those great and precious promises are right there in his word. Amen. So continue to seek him with everything. So back to Telluride. Acts 17, 26 through 27. I love this. I've been right where Paul preached this, and, and I absolutely love this passage. But Paul says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. So are you supposed to be here today? That's right. That's good. <laughs> Yeah, see, this isn't because you came up with the idea, but God somehow sovereignly directed to you to this place for this time. For, the next verse tells us why. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Does God want the whole western slope to come to know him? Does he want Telluride to come to know him? That's why you're here, which is why Jimmy helped start a church here in the 70s. His promise is still being fulfilled. And as you wait, I want to encourage you to keep your eyes on him, knowing that he is going to do it. So as we close, guys, I want you to write out, it says, I will trust God because, on the end, with the promise that he's given you. And I want you to write this out personally to God, right? God, I will trust you because. So think about that. Think about all the promises you have in scripture. Think about all the times that he's been faithful in the past. Think about all the ways he's come through when it looked like there was no way it was going to happen. And with that in memory, I want to encourage you to write out just to know, I will trust you, God, because. And just whatever, whatever that is for you, um, you can just keep that. And I would encourage you to put this in your Bible or something like that, this little note. And the next time you're thinking about the promise that God's called you to or doubting that, or seeing the obstacles more than you're seeing God, 
pull that out and just remind yourself that he is faithful. Right now I need to get my eyes on him and wait patiently knowing that he will bring it to pass. So thank you guys so much for having us. I hope that encourages you. And I just can't say it enough. You guys are such an encouragement to us. And I'm so glad that Keetrick is here when I heard of eight baptisms last week. <laughs> I thought, are you kidding me? You guys are going to take down that town, man. And um, that's the promise. That's the vision, right? So can we pray? God, I just thank you so much for this church. And I thank you so much for the fact that you put this church here in the 70s for a plan, for a purpose. God, that you have a promise for this church that you will use this church to reach not just this city, but this area. And God, I don't see physically how that will happen. Sometimes we look at circumstances and we're just so quick to believe lies. And God, I know I'll be the first one to say, I don't want to believe lies anymore. I want to believe you. God, and I want to get my eyes on you, not on the obstacles. So Jesus, I pray that you bless this church and I pray that you bless Ketrick and, and his family and all the different people that are involved in leading here at the church. God, I pray that you do greater things than anyone has ever imagined, expected, or asked, knowing that you promise in Ephesians 3 that you can do more than we ever imagine or ask, God. God, you're so faithful, and we thank you that we can trust you. God, I just pray that anyone here that has come to a place of, of disillusionment, God, and frustration, maybe thinking that they missed the boat, maybe thinking that their good years are behind them, maybe thinking that you've used others, but you can't use them, God, I pray that they just put those doubts in your hands right now, realizing that you can do more than they ever imagine or ask. And we thank you so much, Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.